Okay, I'm recording too. Check testing. Looks good to me. Yeah, we should do a clap really quick, guys. Um, Kim, do you remember how to do the clap? Kind of. Does one of you count down and then we all clap? Yeah. We really clap? No, we say it. We say okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> that's our Fair. that's our spin on the on the old. Sometimes form. we tell people that we say it, and sometimes we don't. Yeah. So oh yeah, we'll that's tell true. You that we say it. You're. It's good that you asked, though. Not everyone asks. <laughs> It's not All right. my first rodeo. It will be like on the number four. Like we're four would imaginarily land. Right, everybody? Here we go. One, two, three, clap. Clap. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Uh, man. Hannah, what should we do? We didn't talk about this we, part. We didn't get this far yet. <laughs> I think we should just catch up. Good and idea. And hang. It's the end of the year. We're all tired. Like Kim, you said, it's been a year. <laughs> So it'll Indeed. just like hang. It's the end of the year, 2019. So long, 2019. You were a good year. You were the year of the final season of Game of Thrones. And uh, it's over now. Goodbye. Womp womp. Have we started? <laughs> <laughs> Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> On that note, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, everybody. We have a very special guest with us today. Play this harmonica. Hold on a second. Oh, that really put me in the mood. It was festive. <laughs> Are you visiting home for the holidays? Me? Yeah. Yes. How's that been? Oh, I'm not there yet, but I will be. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so I'm still in LA, and then I will be heading up north. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to make like upstate California a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep, I keep referring to upstate. Uh, whenever I say that I'm going home. So yeah, we're, we're heading back on New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve. Jesus. Right on. You're, you're completely against Christmas. You're like, we're standing against it this year. We're going to celebrate it on New Year. I'm going to visit home on New Year's Eve, not Christmas yeah. Eve. Skip it all. Why not? Well, thanks for being here with us on this final episode of 2019. We're trying to wrap up the year and we thought, this would be the best way to do it. And uh, glad that you're available to talk to us. It's fun. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, you got, I'm, I was trying to think of this and I'm pretty sure that it's correct that Game of Thrones was my first ever Game of Thrones podcast. Oh my gosh. I I have so many warm, fuzzy feelings about that. I know. And it's been like ages and now we're all here. I know. We're so excited. We were like, the only way that we could close out this year, especially after everything Kim, you specifically have accomplished this year, we are like, the only way we could really do it justice is if we get the gang back together and talk shop for a while. Yeah, thank you. I'm honored. We should tell everyone just at the top of the show that on October 8th, Kim's first book, The Unofficial Guide to Game of Thrones, was released. And... We were just texting about it a few weeks ago, translated in different languages. And I, I was telling you how when I was younger, I thought it was so cool seeing – I always go back to the Potter books because my world is probably yay big. And I was, I was so cool seeing the different covers of those books and also the strange way the titles were translated yeah. also, which I forget I forget what – I think it was Coco Historia. I don't know yeah. what language that was. Uh, that's Finnish. I Beautiful. honestly don't know what it means. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the history of mm, it might it might be Throne. unofficial history or something like that because my 
the original title that I wanted for the book was All Men Must Die, Ooh. Unofficial Guide to Game of wow. Thrones. Or the Unofficial oh, cool. History of Game of Thrones. It's like, that's a traditional book title with, with tagline, but if you guys yeah, yeah. went with the bold approach, it seems, right? Yeah. I think they like they did a couple marketing meetings and people did not understand why <laughs> I was saying yeah. that all, all men, men must die in the test well. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not, uh, which is kind of amazing. It's so cool to see it translated. And it reminded me of, like I said, when I was seeing those Potter books when I was a kid and I just thought it was so cool seeing the scale of things and seeing it just reach other people. And I was thinking about what those people at the time, my age, those what those kids would be like seeing those book titles and those book covers and in their own way and i was kind of jealous that they would because some of them were like really exciting like the finished cover that we're talking about was just like such a metal approach to your book cover i like the american one just fine like it it does the job right but it just looks so metal and some of those potter covers were also so metal i just thought it was so cool and also uh, on during all of this you're our friend and it's just so exciting to see you have such great success with this project that you've been working on for so long and spending so much time on. And yeah. uh, now the final yeah. season has been done for a while. And like I said, it's the end of the year. So you must be feeling all kinds of stuff right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel ultimately like really proud of that book for sure. But I also mm-hmm. like was not prepared for the level of burnout that I'm like still kind <laughs> of experiencing here on December what is it? 22nd? Um, yeah, it was really, really hard. Uh, this has been a really tough year just in terms of like, not only like physical work that I've been doing, but just like the emotional upheaval of mm-hmm. Game of Thrones ending. I don't think that I was, I I was never really thinking that much further ahead than like, okay, he, like premieres in, I don't even remember now. It was like what, April 14th? Was the premiere or like April? Heck if we know. I can't remember now. That was a whole half a year ago. (laughs) Wait, wait. I think it was April 20th because our 420 episode came out like I think a few days after it and we did it on 420. So I think it was probably like six days after that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like I was so I was so like week to week with like all of these like intense deadlines and like finishing the book and doing my job full time and then like the seat like. My book was due, the final manuscript of my book was due like two weeks after the finale. Which is wild. Um, Which is, yeah, (laughs) which was insane. And it's so funny because like literally already with like some of the news that's broke about like Benioff and Weiss and other like various stuff and like the prequels, like the last chapter of my book like needs to be rewritten (laughs) already. That's awesome. like, oh God. Um, But... Yeah, it was just it was just such a whirlwind and I had a great time doing it, but at the same time like I don't think that I was fully prepared for like just how overwhelmingly different um things would feel once mm-hmm. all that stuff was over. And so yeah, so it's been tough, but good. Well, I think <laughs> that like, that's... that's like my summary of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's such a good way to put it though, and as much as the content itself of your book, I think, is amazing and interesting. And I'm like, I'm the number one audience for that kind of thing. The thing that's been the most fascinating to me and what I'm really excited to talk to you about is some of that behind the scenes stuff of my biggest question was how the heck did you 
finish everything about season eight with such a quick turnaround to get this to publish with just the way that that season unfolded. And I know that we have been around the block. So I think there's a lot of assumptions that could have been made that could have helped that process, but just a whirlwind of all of that wrapping up and then writing a book for the first time. And I'm asking you 500 questions at once and we'll get to (laughs) each of them. (laughs) Um, But that's the kind of stuff I think is really cool and interesting. And so I think I want to talk first about just what it was like to have to finish everything on such a tight turnaround and how you handled writing as much as you could before the finale and filling yeah. in the blanks with with the season. Wait, did you have a bunch of spoilers too? Sorry to interrupt, Pan. Did you have spoilers, Kim? Um, I mean, it was sort of similar to how the last few seasons have been where like mm-hmm. there was stuff out there, but it wasn't a hundred percent. You weren't sure if they were true or not. Yeah, it wasn't a hundred percent verified. And like because HBO had pulled that like we're gonna film fake yeah. like a fake ending, <laughs> which was like stupid, but it worked in that like I I felt like even someone saying like we have set reports of like X people being here mm-hmm. for like this, I was like, well, they they literally might have just like shuffled actors around for the sake of messing with us. Um. So yeah, so I, when I set to outline like the entire book, like when I came up with my table of contents, which was very early in the process and like my editor kind of like helped me, like helped say like, I think you do need a chapter talking about X or like that seems like it's not as, uh, not as like cohesive with everything else. So we like came up with like the table of contents and I, I did try to design that so that it would be as little information about season eight as possible i mean i i knew that obviously i would have to address whatever happened in the final season but i tried i tried to make sure that i had like 75 percent of the book done before the final season even started Mm -hmm. um which i'm i accomplished i'm i think there were some chapters that i was like still working on drafts of throughout the final season and then what I tried to do is just every week, like insert whatever had just happened in the most recent episode into whatever chapter it needed. So like I have my chapter that's like every single, I pick one detail from every episode that you might've missed. And so because I was writing that article anyways for Insider after the new episode each week, I would just like almost literally copy and paste whatever I had written into that like chapter in my in my Google Doc. Um, and then, yeah, for others, I tried to pre-write stuff based on, yeah, like assumptions or like some leaks that I thought were probably true. Um, the one that really messed me up was I had an entire chapter, which is still in there in some form, about like whether or not John or Danny was like the prophesied hero and like yes. Azora High. Mm. And so when the long night episode (laughs) I was just like, fuck. What now? What do we do now? Um, I didn't like, it's not like I just scrapped that entire chapter, but that was the one that I had to do the most revisions on Mm -hmm. that I was not expecting. Like I thought that that was pretty locked and loaded and I just needed to put in a few like paragraphs and it turned into like me having to really write an entire 
new sort of take on how that had been interpreted. While also having a little bit of like an internal crisis, like the rest of us yes, are having about yeah. that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the toughest week for sure after that episode aired because I just felt so I I normally with Thrones I feel so comfortable and I I usually f- had felt so like confident in my understanding of where the story was going. And after that week was the first time where I was just like, Oh my God. Like it wasn't just like, Oh, this is kind of cool. Like they've surprised me. It was like, Oh, I feel now I feel like Benioff and Weiss are intentionally delivering things that do like that didn't fit into the arc of the story for the Mm -hmm. sake of surprising us. And that Mm -hmm. was really frustrating because I was like, yeah it just wasn't going the way that I thought (laughs) things would um so yeah so that I did like week to week stuff as much as I could um and then the two weeks after the finale I think I gave I worked full-time like for insider for like five or six days after the finale and then they let me have about almost a full two weeks off of like my regular full-time job. So I was just like cramming, um, working on the book nonstop. And that was, I mean, that was also, that was the week that, um, fricking galaxy's edge opened here in Disneyland, which I had been, I said that I was going to cover that opening because, like, I love Disneyland and they wanted us to do, like, more park stuff. Yeah, you're like, I'll sign up for that one. (laughs) Yeah, and it wasn't supposed to open until June. So I was like, that's okay. Like, it'll be, you know, pretty fresh on the heels of Game of Thrones, but at least it won't be, like, right when it happens. And then it, they, like, announced that they had been ahead of schedule. And I was like, when the hell does that ever happen? And they, like, (laughs) opened two weeks early on, like, May 28th or 29th or something like right after the finale. Oh my gosh. Um and I like went to that opening, covered it, like wrote a bunch of stuff and that like the morning after that was when I had like the biggest kind of like panic attack that I've ever <laughs> had this year. Just and like I don't mean to be like a downer, but I also feel like I feel like I want to like tell people that it wasn't like this really cool, awesome, easy process. But like, yeah, I was like crying a lot in my living room, like trying to make sure that I just like got through and like actually accomplished what I was trying to. So that was very hard. So like coming, coming in under the wire like that was definitely the most like intense part of the process. And those are the chapters, like the last two chapters in which I try to like reckon with like how upset people were but also you know some people really liked it and all of those like messy feelings and trying to like put game of thrones in like context of our cultural history which was also Mm -hmm. very hard to do when like i was so close to it in that moment those are the chapters that i probably want to rewrite at some point if i ever get to do like a second edition like that's the writing that i'm probably the least proud of if only because I know that I was like just getting it done as quickly as possible and it's really tough like I said to like put something like that in context so soon after it ends so I probably I haven't read those chapters in a while but I'm I probably feel slightly differently maybe than what's in print right now but I'm also like I don't feel like reading them I think that that's such a real thing though because I think that on a smaller scale Zach and I kind of go through that when we record right after the episode comes out in the sense Mm -hmm. of what you're thinking and feeling and then putting it right out to the world immediately. 
And especially with with this last season where I feel like outside of kind of what we were doing work-wise, I was having so many existential crises about just everything that was going on. And so you having to examine that, and I think you made an interesting point, having to examine that from like a cultural phenomenon perspective while being so deeply in the weeds, while also seeing something that you love so much and has changed your life in every sense of the word come to an end. Of course, I would have had a major breakdown. (laughs) I mean, I had a major breakdown. (laughs) I was like just doing a podcast about it. You know what I mean? So I think it's... I think it's great that you can be transparent about that because that's real and that's that's real. Yeah. So I'm so. I'm very proud of myself for like getting it done. Um and I'm really like it thrills me to no end like when I see my book out in the wild or so like cool. anything like that. It's awesome. But I'm also like people are like what's the next book going to be? I'm like, "Oh my god, don't ask me that question." <laughs> yeah. Ask me in 5 years. right or like as I don't know it's 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 hard to imagine I think I think the other thing about my book was like it happened so quickly like literally I've I wrote the entire thing in about eight months I think but like I was kind of like doing just like research and stuff for the first like month or two of that so really it was like seven months which is not normal so I'm like no I will I will write another book when I have like two or three years to work on it or whatever that sounds more manageable I don't think I'll ever do this uh, final season crush again with another show so well, and will there though. ever be a final season yeah. like that yeah exactly ever like this I mean, ever this again is... so yeah what a what a long moment this past decade has had with Game of Thrones though I know so neat it's been so interesting yeah it's really weird that like, cause I, I don't know, I guess I hadn't thought about 2019 being the end of the decade for some reason in my head. I was like, no, you've been too like, busy thinking about the end of the series. That's why I've been thinking I've been about too busy. life and that sort of contextual yeah, way. But like, all, I like, it's like all of these like outlets are publishing their like best TV of the decade lists. And it's so interesting to see where Game of Thrones lands on some of those lists what have you been noticing like what's the average of that it's like not very high up on a lot of them how much do you think the final season is to blame for that i i would say it's like the final two two and a half seasons are if not if not the final half entirely like season five i still think season five is the worst season of game of thrones and I don't think that it ever fully recovered after that. Like, I th- I think that it peaked in season four, and it really was as soon as they started to, like, uh, detour from the existing book material and then start making up their own. I don't think that, like, it ever found its footing again in terms of, like, consistent consistent like incredible character arc writing paired with the spectacle but I think people were I think a lot of people were so still dazzled by how how incredible like how incredible everything looked and like the performances that we were getting were still so like the bar was so high Mm. that people were kind like I think that like it it really wasn't until the final season that that the issues with Benioff and Weiss's certain choices like really started to show because now it was like we were the expectations were even higher 
maybe. Um, so it I don't know. It was their last chance. It was. And, and so it both kind of, su- but it still surprises me to see it so low on people's lists because I'm like, even if, even if those last few seasons uh, wavered on quality, depending on the viewer and how you see it, um, I still, it's like, it changed it. I really do believe that it completely changed television. And I feel Absolutely. like, I feel like ignoring that like larger cultural impact uh, is an interest. Not, not to say that anyone's ignoring that when they rank it lower on their list, but I just, for me, those like external factors weigh in a lot more than like specific nitpicks I have about the writing or certain storylines or whatnot. Right. Cause if anything, the phenomenon of game of Thrones got continued to get bigger and was at its peak when right the show itself <laughs> right already like, kind of started the the decline yeah like this level of fervor i don't really re- i remember being aware of like how intense it was especially around like the red wedding and other parts of season four like the mountain and the viper and all that stuff but it definitely yeah it, it was not at like the fever pitch like no, like there is literally no other show that like stops news cycles for two months and creates when, its own news right, cycle. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Can you imagine like Trump getting impeached on like the weekend of the Game of Thrones? <laughs> no one would know about That's it. That's the weekend we go to a very despicable war we're not proud of. They're like, hey, it was yeah. the Game of Thrones finale. Everyone missed yeah, it. Yeah. No one. No one was paying attention. No one missed all those drone strikes on civilians. Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> Dark. Thanks, Game of Thrones. Um, Kim, can you talk to us about the decision to make to write this book and kind of how that came about and specifically to write it now amidst the the last season? Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Yeah. Um, so I sort of by nature of my job as like a as an entertainment reporter and just like especially like reporting in general. Um, ever since I started doing this, I, I like slowly became aware that writing a book is a thing that a lot of journalists do. Like if they have a particular beat or like a particular company or something that they report on all the time, it's not unusual for them to go and get a book deal and then like write a nonfiction book about that thing. Um, and people had asked me like every so often over the years, like, Oh, like you should write a book about Game of Thrones or like, have you ever thought about it? And at first I was always like, no, like I, I like barely considered myself a real reporter for a while, let alone like someone who would write books. So I was never, it wasn't like something that I like had a goal of like really early on. Um, but it was after, after season seven finished and I, you know, we knew for sure that season eight was going to be the last season. I started thinking more about it and realized that like someone is going to write a book about this entire series like obviously there were a lot of books out there already um but I knew that with the final season coming up that there was going to be at least one person if not multiple people who wrote books about the show as a whole and I just at some point decided that I wanted to try and be one of those people um it was really it was it's funny because it was New Year's Eve 2017 that my mom asked me if I had a New Year's resolution and I didn't. And we were like going around the table at dinner. And by the time it got to me, I was just kind of like, uh, I think I want to write a book. <laughs> 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 and, and 
every, like everyone at the table was kind of like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you've never talked about that before. And I was like, yeah, I, like maybe I want to write a book. Um, so I, when I went back to work, uh, in January, I, I asked my, our like global editor in chief of insider Nicholas Carlson um he's always been like a really good mentor to me and he had I knew that he had written a book uh based on something that he was reporting on uh back in 2014 and so I like I had a meeting with him and I asked him for advice and he was just kind of like hell yeah this is a great idea you should go for it here's like he put me in touch with his editor uh uh which his editor didn't do like entertainment stuff but he kind of like basically like listened to my elevator pitch and was like yes this sounds like something that a publishing company would want um and he he showed me like what I needed to put together a book proposal and then I did that and then he was like great now you should get an agent so he put me in touch with an agency that he thought would be a good fit um so I got a literary agent and this was by now it was April 2018 um so I got an agent and then my agent helped me like refine my proposal and my proposal was pretty much like my outline I had to like you know, write an author bio about myself that kind of was like an overblown, like braggy, like <laughs> Kim is the preeminent expert on Kim. <laughs> like, you are was, though. You are. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, that was that was the funniest bit for me. And then I, what I used was like articles that I had already written that had gotten a lot of views. So it was like proof that I can write about this show in a way that people engage with. Um, and then yeah, he sent it out. We got three offers in the end, which was really cool. So I just kind of had to pick which um, publisher I wanted to go with. And I picked Simon Schuster. And that was locked up by August 2018. And then, yeah, my book came out (laughs) this October. That is wild. What a timeline. Yeah, it happened really quickly. And it definitely happened. Like, I know that I'm so lucky to have the connections that I did and the people that believed in me who like basically like helped the book come to life which was really amazing and I'm really grateful for that um but I also know that like you know I I did I did this (laughs) yeah you absolutely did you've been grinding for for so long to get to that point you know yeah that's an unbelievable amount of work to put in and to distill the entire decade of the franchise is that's something else that's what you did with the book it's just a it's comprehensive in that and I feel like you had such support from the fan community and I feel like a lot of those people feel a lot of ownership over the amount of work that you did, which is so exciting. It's like you were sort of there chugging away for everyone. You were saying that someone needed to do it. And I'm sure it's, I know it's really cool for me. I'm sure it's the same for a lot of other people who follow your stuff and who've listened to you through other podcasts, ours, everyone else's. And all of your own work writing about it on Insider that uh, it's just like satisfying to know that that person was you and that you did all of that work so it would be possible. That's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's I, I'm i so grateful to everyone who's like, yeah, I've been like reading and following my work for ages. It is trippy to like, like I know some people who started following me on Twitter in like 2015 to like you know, read my articles mm-hmm. and stuff. And the fact that some of them were like, I just bought your book on Amazon or like whatever. Like that's so it's crazy. It's so incredibly cool to me. And I'm so, so grateful. Um, I, yeah, it means the world. Cause I definitely would not. And like, I was like, you know, 
tweeting throughout the writing process and like whether it was for like threads on like random thoughts or like just me being like I'm stressed and I need help like you know motivating myself or whatever and like so many people were there for me and lifting me up including you guys and I thank you for that because I definitely would not have made it if I was just like alone in my living room (laughs) like (laughs) stressing about Game of Thrones by myself but it was a collective (laughs) stress that we all got to share in so made it better it must have been so crazy I mean I know you discussed the whole process but just figuratively now it must have been so crazy knowing that you were writing and finishing the book during the season ending and then seeing everybody's just emotions shift around like a lot with how folks are feeling about Star Wars right now it's just kind of like all over the place that was happening so much with the series but it's not like when a book comes out everyone binge reads it and waits for the spoilers or like it's the same thing even when a movie comes out it's not like it's over the course of one single day it's a it's like a sports season or like a really long postseason of a sport like a world series that goes on but there's only one game per week and that's yeah. what every season of Game of Thrones was like which is so unique but it's even more crazy and the stakes are even more higher when you know that there's only a few episodes left there's five episodes left ever and it's like the stakes are so unbelievably high and then after an episode like the bells and everyone's i mean just like the line in the sand gets drawn and 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 you're like okay well i guess i'll just define or try to define a generation of things right now you can't think about it like that in the moment though because there's too much pressure (laughs) yeah (laughs) so much i know i tried and like I ha- I've heard from like a couple or like in like a couple reviews, some people are like, I appreciate how they said that like they appreciate that I kind of I I tried and like I hope it was successful for some people to like thread the needle between like acknowledging the reasons why it failed for a lot of people and like the upset that that sprung without like wholesale assuming that every single person hated it because I know that they didn't and I know people who loved it and that's totally valid also um but I felt like it's yeah it's hard and like my editor like cautioned me against trying to like make some sort of like grandiose statement about the quality of the final season because he was like you don't know how people are gonna feel in a year or like two years you're gonna feel in a year you know right yeah I don't I don't know how I feel now (laughs) 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 like I feel like you know maybe in like next summer or something I will sit down and do like a full rewatch of all eight seasons back to back because I haven't done that yet obviously I have any of us rewatched season eight mm, I, haven't. I, I haven't I haven't either finishing the book I watched Dang. every episode probably six times while like while they were airing but yeah, I haven't revisited it since like June. Six times is good. Same. I think you're good Six on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to have that. <laughs> you're the long night. Six times. I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. Honestly. I'm grateful because I, Mike, my husband, um, so my birthday was April 17th, which, yeah, was like two days or three days before the premiere. Um, and he bought me a like 70 inch tv it's like one of those like two led that's the sweetest gift yeah because he was like you know you've never actually gotten to watch game of thrones on like a big nice 
TV. We had like a decent TV before, but yeah. So I I didn't have the problems with the long night that a lot of other people were having. But I'm also like, oh, yeah, that's the because brightness. I have like yeah, because I had like an insanely state of the art calibrated like state of the art giant television oh shit (laughs) that's so So funny because i bought a new tv before the season (laughs) y'all live go big or go home (laughs) hell yeah i love that you gotta but yeah but i watched it i watched it later on my computer and i was like this looks yikes yeah on hbo go it's like the darkness is just straight black right well (laughs) and it was like you know like the streaming compression was like a totally real thing also because like i heard from people who watched it like two days later and it looked fine but when they had been watching it live sunday night because so many millions of people were like putting strain on the hbo servers it like wasn't coming through in the highest quality or whatever that is such a modern problem and, and one that's really difficult to anticipate. It's not like there's ever really right. been a precedent that's mattered so much that the pristine coloration of a particular scene under the stress load of a popularity or of a show right. being so popular would actually like hurt how it looks in a way. But right, like, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's a problem HBO is going to ever have again with the TV no. show. Yeah, probably you know? not. Because when are they going to have like a nighttime snow battle fantasy right. series. What a moment to cut your teeth on it, though. People. It's been such yeah. a struggle over the years with HBO Go and the the Sunday night. You know what I mean? Like, everyone jumping in at the same time, trying to share logins. It's all getting confusing. <laughs> I wonder if those days are done, not only because of maybe they're fixing those issues, but will there be demand for something like that again? Maybe with House of the Dragon. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. With House of the Dragon, like, I know... I don't I mean I my opinion is that it's never going to reach the same fever pitch that I think that Game of Thrones reached. I think even if best case scenario House of the Dragon comes out in the midst of the Winds of Winter release and like the hype is really high, I don't think it's ever going to be quite the same. But I do think that I've just been thinking a lot Kim as you're th- talking about you're never going to write another book again um (laughs) yeah how something like house of the dragon is going to change what we do going forward and how we look at game of thrones as a series and also like what that series is going to look like and how people are going to buy into it and if people are going to buy into it i think it's going to be a really fun process yeah i i totally agree with you that i don't think any like prequel or spinoff or successor show could possibly reach the same fever pitch of attention and audience. But like my, my best, my sort of like personal best case scenario is that it's like a breaking bad, better call Saul situation, Mm -hmm. which is like, and I don't even watch better call Saul, but I just, I know of it because I know so many people who say that it's like some of the best quality TV out there and that you don't even have to be you don't have to have watched Breaking Bad necessarily to really like it and it gets pretty consistent numbers and it's winning a bunch of awards but it's not like you know like the world doesn't stop when it's the Better Call Saul season 4 finale or whatever but it's still like highly lauded it has a really devoted fan base and like people have a lot of fun around it and so that's that's like my hope for House of the Dragon is that it's like a a more condensed group of the fandom who just like loves it and discusses it, but it doesn't necessarily like break out into mainstream 
conversation as much in the way that Game of Thrones did, but hopefully it's still like high quality and something that we can like, yeah, like have a lot of fun week to week picking apart or maybe like reveals new lore that we didn't know about that George has somehow like confirmed and consulted with like Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapochnik and stuff. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm also, I'm not that I wasn't excited about the Jane Goldman like long night prequel idea because I thought that that was really intriguing and I was curious to see where they would go with that. But I'm, I was surprised, I was surprised, I surprised myself by how excited I was that we were going back to like George book material because I'm like, oh, like this is where I started, which was like, I've read the thousands of pages involving these characters and whatever, and I can kind of like bridge the information gap between what we're seeing on the screen and what's in George's books or like what that's a nod to or whatever. Um, And I think it's great because Fire and Blood is like, it's told by an unreliable narrator. So it leaves them, it leaves the writers of the show so much wiggle room to have their own interpretations of events or characters or change things without like you know, people jumping down their throats for deviating from George's story. So I I kind of, yeah, like I'm cautiously optimistic about that prequel. I'm excited. Today's episode is sponsored by Quip. The holiday shopping season is here and this year your gift can inspire next year's good habit with Quip. Quip is something that's sure to put a smile on everybody's face because it's dental care people actually want to use every day. Quip's electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and toothpaste are all intentionally designed to make good habits simple. The electric toothbrush has sensitive sonic vibrations and a timer with 30-second pulses to guide your routine. And the Quip floss dispenser has pre-marked strings, so you always use the right amount. That's pretty handy. Plus, Quip delivers brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months, so your new good habits can last all year. That's why Quip is the perfect gift. Join over 3 million happy customers and check everyone off your gift list right now with Quip. I feel like Quip is really getting it right with this taking care of all of your needs in one place, not diversifying the workload of finding separate products. Quip is awesome because it's one of those gifts that you can get for people who are really hard to buy presents for or somebody that you don't know very well that you still need to get a present for because it's something that someone's going to use every day. It's a good upgrade to somebody's everyday routine, so they're going to actually use it. And so it's a really thoughtful and sweet gift for somebody who you're not sure what to buy for. Just go to getquip.com slash gameofowns to save on gift sets and to get your first refill free with a refill plan. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash gameofowns. Getquip.com slash gameofowns. How good. I totally agree. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. I was was about to ask something that was about Star Wars, so... (laughs) I've never seen a Star Wars. We're not talking about Star Wars. I was going to ask Kim about it, though. So she's seen Star Wars. I, I know this Quick because I'm looking at your Twitter account. Star Wars break. And yeah. the top of your uh, Twitter page has a... Um, oh, it's like, Pikachu. And it's Pikachu and Baby Yoda touching. And I'm, is it yeah. Michelangelo? Is that who did that? Yeah. yeah. That's, That's like so funny. Creation of man. But it's... <laughs> You're like, I found an image that distilled me into a moment. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. That's awesome. What were you going to say, Hannah? I'll go back to the Star Wars later. I don't remember. Oh, I don't remember what I was going to say. I was just going to talk about House of the Dragon. I just think that... um, Hot D. Yeah, Hot D. But somebody say it already. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> For God's sakes. I'm <laughs> never going to call deep. it that. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I probably will. <laughs> I just like, I agree in the sense of I'm cautiously optimistic. I think it's a safer choice in a good way. Like in a way that right. is going to play better on, on screen and play better for us as fans. And so um, I don't know if we can get too excited yet, like how much longer we're going to have to really realistically wait. Or we think that anytime in 2020 we're going to get any sort of information or trailer or casting or any of that kind of stuff. I'm not going to get my hopes up too high, but uh, we better I take would, a lot of naps now. To- yeah, if I had to if I had to bet, I would say that we have a teaser by the end of 2020 and mm-hmm. then maybe the show comes out in spring 2021. Okay. Yeah, that because feels th- right to me. I think that they're going to want yeah, cuz like I think they're going to want to return to that spring timing or like, you know, right? Yeah. They did I guess they did with the final season, but before that it got a little wonky with like summer. Um I don't know. And I'm all, I'm very curious to see if it's like an eight episode season versus a 10 or like, are they doing kind of a limited series thing or are they really trying to do like a more serialized, like long, long form thing? I don't know. They could go so many directions with it, but I'm excited. I also, you want to hear something funny? <laughs> yes, <laughs> always. At, at some point earlier this year, like I think around like from like January to April, I was getting very stressed because I convinced myself that the winds of winter was coming up this year. Okay, that's so real. That's so real. I I was like, oh my God, they're going to announce that it's like coming out in like, yeah, like November, like 2019. And I'm going to still be stressed out from Game of Thrones. And I don't know how I'm going to write about the winds of winter. Yeah. I know. And I'm so I'm no to, disrespect. I'm so grateful that that didn't. That didn't <laughs> I know. <laughs> Blasphemy. I know. It was. It was like like the prospect of having to read and write about the winds of winter. Oh, it would have been a huge book year. too. Yeah, it was like terrifying to me. Kim, I think so. you might have died. <laughs> I'm glad that didn't happen. <laughs> been really I would sad. <laughs> you, I would be Skype ghosting you guys from beyond the grave right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would have been too much. So yeah, I am. I I feel like solid about the future of Game of Thrones, but it does. It bums me out that it ended the way that it did because I think that I think that they would have been able to sustain a much bigger audience for a lot longer if they had done a good job. So divisive in the end. Yeah. I'm also yeah. very selfishly. I'm like I don't think that that helped my book sales. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, I d- like I think that the number of people who now feel like picking up a 380 page book about Game of Thrones and reading it dra- like drastically dropped after the final season. I think though that as we get away from it a little bit more and people start missing it, I think that it's going to be one of those things that people are going to really want to revisit and go back to for a long time. There, there's also so many people that didn't live through the entire decade of being a fan that would love to get a lot of that insight. And yeah, and for people to come that come think about the folks who are finding Potter now, if they had a resource like this about the early days of the fandom from someone that was a real fan like you, My involved, live journal. that would have been so cool. Yeah. If Hannah's live journal was published for God's sakes, <laughs> we'd all be better off for it. But you took care of that problem. That's why it's so awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I would hope that it, you know, 
it can be around for a while. Unless it's the ending was just I... so bad and, and no one cares. You know what I mean? They're like, <laughs> yeah. I the unofficial guide to what? Like, honestly, Bran wins. That's the guide. <laughs> he did something bad at the end. <laughs> Have you seen The Mandalorian? Yes, I love it. Okay, good. It's great. Why do you think Baby Yoda is my banner? Because of social <laughs> pressure, probably. I don't even know who that is, but I know who uh, it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually just found out that it's based after the uh, original trilogy. Yeah, the Last Jedi. And I'm just yeah. Like, so it's not literally Baby Yoda. I know, but that's exciting. I thought it might have been. I thought it might have been a prequel, like a oh. a bunch of Mandalorians or something way back in the past, pre yeah, yeah, yeah. Jango and Boba Fett, and yeah, yeah, like yeah. there's Yoda or Yoda getting bored, but no, it's the opposite. So I'm intrigued by it. But I wanted to ask because it seems like it's the the newest and best. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to watch it all, but it seems to me from the images and stuff that I've seen and people's overall excitement about it, that it, it could be the newest and best attempt at making prestige TV with fantasy elements. And I think that that's really cool if they nail it. So what do you think? Did they nail it? I think like, that is, they, is it awesome? I think that they nailed it completely. Um, I, what about yeah. compared to Thrones? Sorry, I'm spacing out. Um, yeah, I think the thing that was great about The Mandalorian to me is that I think that they did a really smart marketing thing with it, which was that we didn't know that there was this like adorable baby Yoda involved. Um, and they kept like the trailer and like everything that we knew about it. They kept hawking as like dark, like gunslinger old western like gritty drama but like set in star wars which to be honest was like not really enticing to me in like by like november i was like so over watching like dark gritty things that like bummed me out mm. or were just like dramatic for the sake of being dramatic and it felt care like, about it felt, this yeah and like it felt very like broy to me and i was like Ugh, okay like i'll watch it and whatever and so, yeah, when I, like, I sat down, like, at midnight, because I was, like, ready for, like, the launch of Disney Plus in this new Mandalorian show, I was supposed to, like, write about it. So that that was, like, that was the first time in a while that I had, like, stayed up late to, like, watch a new show and cover it. And it was, like, it was kind of fun. And then... It's kind of magical. Yeah. And, like, not to, I mean, spoilers for the first episode of Mandalorian here, but, like, at the very end is when baby yoda shows up or like it's like i said it's not literally baby yoda it's a baby of the same species of yoda but apparently that's like that's like one of the only mysteries george lucas has ever like really kept close to his chest as he's never revealed information about yoda and where he came from so this like tiny adorable green thing shows up and like all it just like broke open the premise of the show for me because it went from being like oh, I'm just going to follow, like, this bounty hunter as he, like, kills a bunch of people around the planet to, like, oh, this bounty hunter is, like, now protecting and, like, trying to save this child from harm because a bunch of other people in the galaxy want to kill it. And that is so, that's, like, such a better show, but I love that I didn't know that until, like, watching the episode in real time, and it was really fun, and then, like, it just completely took off. Like, the, like, memes have been great. It really did, for me, like, reinvigorate, like, a love of watching an episodic TV show that I haven't felt since, yeah, like, Game of Thrones. So I think that it was very successful, and that they had a really great premise, 
they did a good job of like surprising the audience and it's delivered on its quality so far. It's also really short. Like the longest episode is like 45 minutes, but hmm. a lot of them are like 25, 30 minutes, which oh. I also oh. think is really nice. Interesting. Yeah. So I think, I think that it was Disney has for me, I think successfully sort of like shaken up the model. I also love the weekly drops like they didn't have to do that they could have pulled a netflix and done like a bin like a binge style show but the fact that they're releasing one episode every week has like that's how you build a fandom like that's Mm -hmm. how you build word of mouth and excitement to see what happens next and it's been yeah it's been great it's been like one of my favorite things of 2019 in addition to detective pikachu which is why (laughs) (laughs) which is why tiny fluffy pikachu (laughs) and baby yoda are my twitter banner right now because those are my number one boys so you think that a lot of it could be due to episodic weekly let's just say the non-binge format Mm -hmm. is really good to foster fandom yeah and absolutely. the the binge drop takes away some of the magic what kind of the magic like when you think about that what do you think it's missing that's something that i think about a lot but i, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that and i'm interested in what you think about that yeah i think i think what the binge what netflix capitalized on smartly with the binge format was like they knew that people loved to discover a TV show that maybe had like already aired or whatever and binge watch it because who doesn't like who doesn't love to sit and like immediately get the satisfaction of watching the next episode of something that is really cool and engaging and right. awesome. But the problem I think is that that worked really well when it was only like two or three shows that people really felt like they had to watch right away, like Mm. house of cards and orange is the new black. Like Mm. the, the problem is that in the intervening years, now there is so much television and Mm -hmm. Netflix is releasing so many shows that it feels very overwhelming, I think to a lot of people. And the odds of you making a show that everybody feels like they have to sit down and watch eight hours of or 10 hours of is really low these days because there's just too many options. Saturation point. And yeah. And so the episodic release is it's like, it's like the pendulum is now swinging back where now I think people feel excited that, Oh, I, I only have to sit down and watch a 22 minute pilot episode of the Mandalorian to, in order to get in on the conversation. And then the like the baby Yoda phenomenon would not have happened if every episode came out at once. I think the season would have dropped. I think people would have loved it. They would have talked about baby Yoda for like maybe a week or two on Twitter or whatever. And then it would have disappeared. But instead, because we're getting one episode at a time, people are making like individual memes out of like small scenes from every episode and you can't the problem with binge format and the way that it sort of like corrupts not corrupts like corrodes fandom instincts is like you don't know when it's okay to talk about the entire season because you don't know how you don't like there's no like rule for the time window in which you allow someone to watch an entire season of something like say stranger things so it makes it a lot harder to discuss online whereas what the Mandalorian did was like 
Baby Yoda was kind of still considered a spoiler for like the first two episodes, I think. So people were like being a little bit careful about talking about it, but still sort of freaking out. And then once the floodgates opened with like, okay, now like everybody knows that there's this Baby Yoda thing in the show, like we can talk about it. It turned into like, now I have like it, it gave people a sense of urgency of being like, I have to watch the new episode because everybody's going to be talking about it the next day online. And so like, if I don't want to get spoiled, I have to watch it right away. And creating that sense of urgency is how you create like an excited fan base. And that just doesn't happen with a binge drop. Instead, it turns into this kind of like messy conversation of people being like, okay, who watched it all in one weekend or who watched it all this week? And okay, maybe I'll just talk about the finale because like by the time that you get to the end of eight hours of TV, you don't remember some like small scene that happened in episode three, you know, like especially if you binge it. Right. Like you're focused entirely on the ending and like what happened in that. And that's, I run into that with my work where like, if I want to write about a Netflix show, I pretty much just have to write about the season as a whole, because there's no point in me being like this crazy scene happened at the end of episode four. And like, here's what it means because everyone's going to blow right past that and just watch the next episode. They're not going to stop and grab their phones and try and like look up an article about episode four or five you know well it shortens the conversation as a whole like i think about something like stranger things for example this last season that came out drops and it's all anybody can talk about for one day and then yeah people are spending time finishing it and it's like the next week it feels like it never even happened even though it's supposedly this big thing that everyone was anticipating because it really, yeah, it cuts that conversation in half. And so yeah, I'm excited right. though that we're sw- the pendulum is swinging the other way and that The Mandalorian has been so successful in this way because I think that for people like us who crave that intense analysis and detail and just hype, there's not a space for us in the Netflix binge world it's not as interesting or as fun or as community engaging as it could be so yeah totally so I hope that we get more more shows like this and like maybe like Netflix has been kind of playing around with releasing some of their shows on a weekly basis but that tends to be their like Hmm. nonfiction shows like their talk shows right yeah um and I'm curious to see if they if they decide to like try and pull a Mandalorian and because like like they just dropped the fact that Netflix just dropped Witcher on the same day that the new Star Wars movie came out and like right before the holidays I was like that doesn't make any sense to me from like a marketing standpoint because you're gonna get drowned out by Star Wars conversation in the news and then everybody's gonna go home for the holidays and maybe they binge this new show and if they do by the time that they come back to work or whatever they're not talking about it anymore like everybody's moved on so yeah the odds of the odds of them creating like another stranger things or like another show that everybody feels like they have to go sit down and binge right now at the same time is feels very low to me uh so yeah that's kind of a shame i think you really nailed it when you were saying that there was a time when that binge format worked when they had less shows and especially something like house of cards i never felt cheated 
by not having to wait. I think it also was awesome that there were so many episodes. It it's still seemed like even though you could burn right through them, that it was still going to take a considerable amount of time. So you don't, you didn't feel cheated at all. Like for now I'm going back and watching marvelous Mrs. Maisel and, yeah. and it's like, I almost have the opposite. I, I see it. And uh, I think they just launched the, the third season and I've, I watched that first before I had seen the beginning and I was wistful for the end of it already. Like when I started watching it, cause it was only six or seven episodes and I think I watched two in one night and it's like, I'm already almost done with it. And the feeling of yeah. that is uh, it's already, it's already nearly finished. And I was lucky that I had had more to go back and watch, but you know, if that would have been a weekly process, it would have been that, that feeling would have been spread out that psychological state that that show induces would have been spread out over time. And it also wouldn't have been concentrated. I would have done it less. I'm definitely not a person that has enough time to sit down and watch TV for eight hours unless I really, really have to. I don't know if I would want to also, you know, that's a, that's a big block of time. And there's something that's nice about it. Like them taking some of the decision-making off of my shoulders and it being there when I need it or being, you know, it's, if it's an occasion, something that I might want to do, like a, like an activity, like going outside and playing basketball or something, I might do it once or twice yeah. a week. Just like I might watch a TV show, a particular kind of TV show once or twice a week. But that pressure is just like, like when you were saying Stranger Things, Hannah, being excited about turning on that third season, maybe you would just sort of clear it out in a small amount of time. If your friends are like, hey, did you, did you see the new Stranger Things? That's probably something you're going to talk about for like one weekend. Rather right. rather than it being something that we're extending over a course of eight weeks. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the third season of Stranger Things came out this year and and feels like it barely had any impact on anything is bananas to me. Because it's I remember that, that, yeah, like that first season, that lasted for like six months. Yeah. Like all anybody could talk about was Stranger Things and have you seen Stranger Things? And like those kids became like so famous and like it felt like, it felt like the biggest thing Netflix had done ever. And the fact that that is like now one of their few kind of like big headline banner shows left and the third season like came and went. And maybe like it, for, from my perspective, again, like writing about it, like I've I've covered every season of Stranger Things and the window of time in which our readers will click on an article of Stranger Things just keeps shrinking. Like yeah. I, I got I got maybe three weeks out of Stranger Things content. Whereas season two, it was like season two came out in October and people were still reading the articles by like December. Like it was like two months ish of people catching up on stuff. Whereas, yeah, like I don't think that putting it out on the 4th of July helped either again with like Netflix and like their holiday releases. I'm like, I don't know why you think that this, I guess, I guess from like an audience standpoint, maybe, you want to like stay in on a holiday weekend and just binge TV. But I do think that it sucks the air out of the conversation because like there's just too much else going on. And so, yeah, if you want to have that big impact, I think that they're going to need to maybe shake up their model or just really deliver another like incredible can't miss TV show, which I don't think that they've done in a while, to be honest. Or they have hire really, us like, to build their yeah. fandom from the ground <laughs> yes. up. Because we could probably figure that out for them. <laughs> I like the way you think, yeah. Anna. So strange. 
I feel like it'd be so much more cost effective to shoot the same amount of footage, make the same show, and to spread that over an amount of weeks. Not only would it equal, like we're talking about, potentially more fanfare. Not everyone watches TV or reads books the same way that we do. I think that we're definitely uh, a a niche that has a, a significant amount of people around it. Like there's there's a big world and there's a lot of people and a lot of people are are similarly engaged with stuff. But there's a lot of other people that are also not nearly at all even close to interacting with stuff the same way that we do and maybe this makes them happy in some way but it would cost the same to spread it out and i feel like netflix i know that they have a lot of stuff and they're kind of dumping it inside of their platform but i'm not sure if the valuation of their company scales with the amount of full shows that they have they could just make less shows and stagger things out and I don't know. It's weird. I feel like they, yeah, they wanted to I become mean, unique for having that that binge approach to their content. And I know that they wanted to kind of give the impression to folks that this is a normal and good thing to do. Maybe it's just good for their property overall in the long run if people end up being hypnotized and thinking that's an okay <laughs> way to do things. But I don't know how sustainable that is. Yeah, I think – and especially in the last, like, I would say – year and a half two years like you can tell and like they've I'm pretty sure to like the like you know various CEOs and like higher ups at Netflix have talked about this which is like they kind of started going for like almost like the opposite of HBO where like HBO is like we give you you know eight very high quality TV shows a year that you can talk about and Netflix was like a full quantity like method where they were like, we are we are gonna give you hundreds like literally hundreds of original shows all of varying genres and lengths and tones and styles and stars and just see what sticks and i think the problem is is that it's very hard to make something stick when you give someone that like when you give people that many options uh this is good dating advice by the way quantity over quality yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's just you know i think that it was a gamble for them they've spent so much money Mm -hmm. on that's what uh, i mean it's like come on on. their production and and like and the thing that we're starting to see with netflix shows is that like sure you're gonna make a hundred shows and then you're gonna cancel you're not gonna release any of your numbers either yeah, you're not going to release your numbers on how many people are watching them. You're going to cancel a bunch of shows before they're finished because, like, you have deemed that not enough people are watching them, even though you aren't telling us how many people are watching them. So we have no idea. But, like, like the OA was a show that I really enjoyed, but it was... That first episode, holy shit. Yeah, it, I mean, it was just so different than anything that I had really ever seen. It had a really, like... It worked for me because it had like an earnestness that I don't think that we see in TV very often anymore, especially as we are like coming off of this like, you know, peak TV, very like male driven drama like style of TV. The OA was just so different and it was like really fucking weird, but cool and emotionally impactful to me. But I knew that it was like a much smaller audience, but the people who watched it like loved that show and for them to cancel it after what was like a much better second season, in my opinion, 
And it ends on like a crazy cliffhanger. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, like, why not just give them eight more episodes to wrap up the story and like call it a day? But the fact that they like canceled that show and then announced, you know, their like $200 million <laughs> deal with Benioff and Weiss like a month and a half later, I was just like, oh my God, like who's doing your bookkeeping over there? Because it, 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 yeah, it did not feel congruous to me with like wanting to retain happy customers it still feels like they are in like chaotic throw everything at the wall mode and i don't think that's sustainable it seems like part of their strategy is doing differently than what everyone else is doing but i just don't know how well it's going for them you know yeah in the long run i mean they did just get the most golden globe nominations out of anything this year i think right but that was for a lot of their movies so it's interesting that like movies like they're like netflix original movies are now the thing that's like breaking through most of the time but i like i i still haven't seen either of the what was it irishman and marriage story i haven't watched i loved irishman very like very patient and just sort of really satisfying with how well the aesthetic served the purpose of the story it was just like oh very pleasing to look at but that's not anything to do with netflix that's a martin scorsese film starring robert de niro i mean they could have been making that movie three or four years ago right if they really wanted to i'm just hmm i wanted to ask about the mandalorian because i feel like if if that is the current best try at stuff i don't want to think about the latest stuff with got because i think we all kind of come to the conclusion that D D like you were saying, season five might be the worst one kind of swerved off the rails at some point And that we really loved, there's just something different when you think about season four, season three, season two, season one, the same kind of footage, like literally the same scene, the same shot in King's landing. It's imbued with a different quality when what they're doing is it just served the mathematics of the, the weird skeleton that George R. R. Martin built with those books. When you see Jamie and, Braun standing on a sand dune in Dorne and it's shot with the same camera and it's the same actors and it's beautiful. There's just, it, it, it did not sparkle with the truth that the rest of the story did. Like seeing the Sapphire Isles and we're on the ship headed to Dorne. It's like, it's just, we, if it didn't feel right, we knew, we knew that that reference to Brienne was almost kind of like a, a weird fan service. And that's just something that George never really did. You know, he never really did that. There was moments where real stuff would happen, but it's just it was a little bit too on the nose and it was like this creeping thing and like you said it it looked the same it had that same look but i don't know if it really convinced everyone deep down to the very bottom of their soul and uh so like the final season had some really incredible moments i know that hannah and i when we were talking about the final episode we were really appreciating that Tyrion and Jon scene. It really reminded me of uh, some early Game of Thrones where Tyrion was doing this subtle mind play on Jon where he ended up actually killing Daenerys for God's sakes. I mean, that was cool. That was yeah. pretty cool. But I don't think about the last season of Game of Thrones as the current try, like the current top level attempt yeah. at making this stuff. I feel like maybe they just, they just stopped caring at some point. Or at least stop putting out, stop wanting to make like the Battle of the Bastards, where it was like, you know, I know that we're working with a limited script, but we want to still make this a a showcase in modern filmmaking where we're going to take 
this these choreographers and they're going to do some really amazing work and like everyone is going to take their craft to a whole new level rather than just taking their craft to a level that it's sort of been at before and so i was yeah. i was wondering if the people that are making this stuff for disney i love john favreau i'm not sure how involved he is day to day with the operation or how much he's physically doing on it but um like a lot i'm he he like him and dave filoni are basically like the co- showrunners effectively i think dave i think john favreau is like a little more uh in the lead and dave filoni is in the writer's room a little bit more but yeah it's like totally his baby does it seem like they're excited about it yeah see that's that's what i was missing and that's what i'm hoping that what comes to house of the dragon so if mandalorian is serving up the right stuff and you feel like it's not just derivative like it's not just coasting off the steam that game of thrones and other and star wars itself and just other prestige things that pull in the scale of a of a of a fantasy epic and put it on the small screen if you feel like it's still going then i'll i'm, I'm gonna be more excited about house of the yeah. dragon if because there's new blood coming in on it and it's still a property right. that we love and if so if it's possible to keep the ship going and to keep innovating then i'm going to be really excited for the new series i think yeah totally and yeah i completely agree with you about like the later seasons it did become it became a thing where like i felt like i felt like there was a bit of like going through the motions when it 100%. came with writing like especially in terms of like the writing I think like the best the best and like most like random example of this is this phrase that crops up for the first time I'm pretty sure in season five which is like I wish you good fortune in the wars to come uh that's like what like uh Mance Raider says to John I think like before he dies uh and then they repeat that line in the Tower of Joy flashback where it's like one of Rhaegar's uh, Kingsguard says that to like young Ned Stark. He's like, I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. And then it like cut it like someone else says that in season seven. And it, at first I was like, you know, that was one of my details where I'm like, ooh, like that was a callback to like this thing. And then it got to a point where I was like, I have no idea why any of these guys are saying this to each other. Or what it means. Like, it's just it's just a, like, phrase that sounds kind of cool. Game of like thrones pre, like Like, pre-battle. But it, like, didn't actually mean anything. And, like, it was, yeah. So it's, it like, like, little things like that where it turned into, like, oh, we're going to copy and paste. Like, we're going to, like, copy and paste this reference from an earlier season into here for the sake of just referencing an earlier episode and not necessarily because it was like some really cool piece of foreshadowing or like whatever. It's like and, symmetry lacking depth is what you're saying. Like where George yeah, makes yeah, similar yeah. symmetry, it has all of this real world and historical depth to it. Yeah. Well, and right. I think that, whereas like, yeah, go ahead. With Anna. House of the Dragon specifically, the reason why I think it's going to play better is because there's nothing – to compare it to in the sense of, I mean, right. I know that there's fire and blood, but that, that book reads differently than a song of ice and fire does. And so totally. there's not going to be that same precedent or that same need to be as amazing as seasons one through four. And I would argue six was for yeah. game of Thrones. I think the house of the dragon can be that higher level surface, blockbuster type of show and still be enjoyable because we're not feeling like we're being 
shortchanged or that it's been cheapened. Totally. Because there yeah. isn't that same precedent, which I think is a good thing for everybody involved. Yeah, totally. Because I do think – I think Benioff and Weiss, in my, like, in my estimation, I think one of the mistakes that they made or like a, a maybe like miscalculation on their behalf was like they thought – that the reason why people loved Game of Thrones was because of the Red Wedding and because of the Battle of Blackwater and because of the Battle of the Bastards. Like, they they somehow got into their heads that, like, the final season had to just be, like, back-to-back, craziest, highest production-level, like, cinematic spectacle that you've ever seen. And I... I think that they completely underestimated that the reason why people cared about those big tentpole moments earlier was because of the amount of work that had gone into those characters and like the amount of time that we had spent with those characters and the buildup to those moments. Like Battle of the Bastards is incredible, but like you don't care about like, I don't think that you really care in, unless you're that invested in Jon Snow, like like what it means for Jon Snow to be facing that cavalry in that scene or what it means for Sansa to stand in Winterfell again and have Ramsay Bolton be dead. Like, that's why that episode is so amazing. It's not just because like, oh, shit, you got 50 real horses? Like, <laughs> way to go. Like, you know, like yes. that's like that's not the takeaway from it. But I think for some reason they calculated in their head that like they just had to deliver the most like over the top crazy dragon battle like you know zombie army that you've ever seen and it's like well no we cared because there were stakes before and like it it just felt like they started undercutting their own character developments for the sake of like bigger and more beautiful television and that's i think that that was like the biggest disconnect in the final season. And so, yeah, I hope that with house of the dragon, Ryan Condal and the writing team, like remarries that idea where it's like, yes, we can have like big, beautiful, epic dragon fantasy show, but we are also going to like really carefully craft these characters and like build everything up from the ground again. And give us those quiet moments. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like there's a reason why Jamie knighting Brienne, like made everybody cry. Right. And yes. like talk, Think about like, how much that cost versus that dragon shot in the sky. Right. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So true. We will always have Jenny of Old Stones. Honestly, we really will. Like, here's the thing. Everything else was, <laughs> was what it was. But that, those scenes in that episode, I'm, I can forgive the rest. That was the best week of 2019. Yeah, that was an amazing week. (laughs) That Sunday to Sunday was like my emotional high of the year, I think. And then it all spiraled. Um, So, Kim, what is next for you in terms of, like, what are you working on these days? Except for taking a very long extended break through the holidays. (laughs) But as you look into 2020... Like what's what are you working on? What's next? People always ask the stupid question of what do you do now that Game of Thrones is over? And it's like, well, it's not really over. When are you but... getting your baby Yoda tattoo? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pre- preeminently, it's already on my butt. Oh, good, uh, perfect, <laughs> great place for it. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I the question of like what are you going to do when Game of Thrones is over always kind of irked me because I'm like, it. you do know that I do other things, yeah. Right? <laughs> like, 
I have a full-time job. Um, but yes, it is, it, I, I am spending a lot of time these days, like thinking about like what it is that I want to really focus on. I mean, I have, I'm excited for like Westworld to come back. Um, I'll be writing about that season, even though that show also hurts my brain, but in a much better way, I think. Um, so yeah, like try to find other shows. It's tough. I've been like trying to like trying to figure out like what Netflix's next thing might be that I write about a lot, but uh, have you watched dark? The German show. I've seen your tweets, man. That's it. It's really good. <laughs> I I recommend watching it. The final season of that is coming out probably in like ju- like June. Um, so Dark and Westworld are like the ones on the immediate horizon that I'm like, yeah, I can like I'll be able to like dig into those again. Um, but yeah, I'm just you know sort of chugging along these days and trying to see see what comes my way and what grabs my attention. But yeah, I I honestly don't have like a big 2020 plan right now other than I like think that's continue okay. recovering from 2019. Yeah, I think that's okay. I mean, I just think about you publish a book this year, yeah. so I think it's, it's okay to kind of figure out what comes next. Yeah. I would write the, the only other book I've thought that I would write is a book about Westworld, but I would want to write like the actual official <laughs> book. I don't think I want to do an unofficial book anymore about tv shows because that was its own challenge you know like there i don't know if you guys have seen but there is the official guide to game of thrones came out like two weeks after my book and that was like the big like hbo hardcover coffee table book um, i didn't even know they made that yep and i i also saw that um james hibbard from entertainment weekly is writing is he no I might have just made that up. No, it was the the official guide to Game of Thrones was written by uh, Miles McNutt, mm. who he I didn't really He's know been covering about it for a while. Yeah, I actually didn't know about him. Sorry to this man. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry to this man. Twenty nineteen. Yeah, did not know who he was until I saw that that book was coming out. But yeah, I guess he's been he's been writing for the AV Club, I think, about Game of Thrones for a while. Yeah, um, it's a familiar name. There's so many names like that, you know. So many people that have been a part of this thing for so long. Renfro, Robinson, McNutt. <laughs> the, look at the Mount Rushmore of Game of Thrones journalists. Yeah. They all, you must have a blue check mark. That is the only requirement. <laughs> oh, the blue check mark. I got my blue check mark when I was like literally the office assistant at Business Insider. Love but to they see were that. Just, they were verifying a bunch of reporters, and the person who like submitted us for ver- like submitted the reporters for verification. She was just like, oh, do you want, like, do you want to get verified too? And I was like, yeah, can, can I? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm why not, would you say no? Right. I'm not a reporter. And she was like, yeah. So <laughs> I got verified and it was like a total, total fluke. So don't, I don't know. I don't trust blue check marks to be. What, what are you saying? Special, you saying we can't trust blue check marks? No. <laughs> what? It's a scam. No. Surprise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I, I think what I'm really trying to say is that everyone without a blue check mark is just as valid on Twitter.com. Good. Blue check marks do not mean a higher importance of opinion. Or... Yeah, we don't have a blue check mark, and so we have lots of hot I takes. Know. So right. You you deserve them. <laughs> oh no, I can't take that kind of pressure. There's so much pressure. <laughs> 
I try not to think about it. I just tweet about Baby Yoda every 24 hours. <laughs> Smart. That's the way to do like, it. Le- leave it at that. Baby Yoda is the new taking pictures with people's dog. <laughs> just automatic, automatic guaranteed likes. It's like, oh, yeah, I know yeah. this. It's a wonderful guaranteed tactic. Faves. Well, good on you, Disney, for cracking the code yet again. When I saw that, I was just like, you bastards. You did it again. <laughs> they did it. And I I had low expectations, so I'm glad that they were exceeded. That's good. It's so much better when it turns out like that. I really don't like not liking things. That's not fun. I know. It hasn't been fun to have anyone feel lackluster about GOT, and I hope that when Wins comes out that – it is devoid of the same sort of criticism that four and five had even from non-serious really diehard fans i just hope that everyone just loves it and we all get to celebrate the love for that and then also the same thing for the next series also all tv shows in general you know what i mean it's like not fun having sour opinions like i don't really like how these people put their art together that's just eh, come on yeah there needs to be just enough drama to make it interesting yeah. There's that though. You're right, Hannah. We need some drama, I guess, to make it interesting. I'm not calling I mean, you out, yeah, by the way, for hating Revenge or Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I'm just mean like okay. in general. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't I don't like not liking things. I wish like when I see when I'm when I see something that like really bums me out, like or when I see something that I don't like that I was really hoping to like, like that is a terrible feeling. Right. That's what uh, I'm saying. Because right. Like I, I never want to like discount the effort that people put into. And I also know, like I would never presume to be able to write a season of television or like a movie or whatever. The, like, I know that it's like a tough process, but I, where I tend to like dig my heels in the ground is when I really feel like there was a miscalculation of like, like character story like that's where like that's where rise of skywalker lost me and that's where the final season of game of thrones started to lose me was like i felt like like certain characters were getting undercut uh in ways that i thought was like pretty avoidable yeah like not on accident it's on purpose right and so but yeah and like yeah game like i'm not as embedded in star wars fandom because like i don't really write about those movies a lot i just get to for the most part like watch them and enjoy them Um, concept i know that's lovely uh but with game of thrones like it was ugly out there like i swear i I saw like friendships end over like i don't know like for me it's like half whatever opinion you want like i'm never gonna sit here and say like if you liked the final season of game of thrones like you don't get it or like like you're like you're just like a fan person or like or like whatever I don't understand I don't understand why anyone needs to like make their opinion about someone else's and that like for me that like it got hard for me when I was not enjoying it and people were like I felt like people were like subtweeting me or like other people and being like actually Game of Thrones was good and like haters need to just back off or whatever and i'm like whoa like (laughs) you don't if you enjoyed it you don't need to like make your enjoyment of it directed at the people who didn't and vice versa like and nobody if everybody had the same opinion it wouldn't be interesting right yeah although i like yeah it i think that there was always going to be debate and contention it does it does drive me a little bit 
bananas every time I see like a new interview with someone involved in the show who says like people were just mad because it was ending and like they were always going to be upset because the show that they loved was coming to an end and like that's just what we're seeing now and I'm like that I think that you just didn't read anything that people were saying about like you're living in a which bubble. is fine I know I'm like I'm like if you didn't if you didn't read and engage with the criticism of season eight, that is fine. That is totally your prerogative. But like, don't, it's weird to like hear the actors like pitching this line of like, well, people were just upset that Daenerys died because they loved her character so much. And like that, they read the secret man. Yeah. Like that was just like a, (laughs) that was just like gonna, that was always going to be difficult for them to process. And so that's what they're upset about. And I'm like, no, I wish that that's what I was upset about. Right, me? right. So, uh, yeah, I'm like, all all of your opinions are valid. If you enjoyed the final season, start to finish, like that's kick ass. And I, I bet you had a much better year than the rest of us, <laughs> <laughs> who instead felt like we were like working through this like very complicated relationship with the show and the and like choices that were made in the end and you know the show doesn't belong to us it doesn't even belong to george like it was benioff and weiss's baby from the start and like that's how the cookie crumbled and yeah my hope is that like moving forward with any fandom like especially like game of thrones related stuff and i like i'm i'm i think i'm less optimistic about the winds of winter than you are zach like I'm nervous about that because I think so many more people have now become invested in those books, which is which is also, I think, the reason why the season eight backlash was so loud, because I I'm pretty sure that there were tons like potentially millions of people who had not watched Game of Thrones up until then, but decided to catch up and watch the final season because it was such a big deal. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those people are the ones who were like, well, this is trash. Like, why did I just waste six months of my life? And like, we're very like loudly, like talking about how much they didn't like it because they hadn't been in the trenches with it for years and years and years and hadn't been kind of like aware of the changing shift, I think, in like tone and quality that was going on for the last few years. If you just binged seasons one through seven and then tuned in for eight, I would totally understand feeling a lot more extreme about it perhaps and so i i worry that the same thing might happen with woods of winter which is that like a bunch of people in the last couple of years might have picked up a song of ice and fire and have like completely different expectations for the woods of winter than someone who's been yeah like reading i like this challenge though george r R. martin all right our fearless leader get in there and write some dope shit make up some awesome things and really get us going you know yeah like really do it i'm I'm optimistic for myself. I feel like I'm going to fucking love the shit out of whatever George does, but I'm nervous for the conversation around it. If that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. I I still have faith that if, if something is overwhelmingly great, then, then, you know, if it's baby Yoda, good, everyone will agree. I'm like, all right, they did it. They did it again. I think what I'm like, what I'm underprepared for is like the eternal debate of like what did George tell them or like oh, did he yeah. like like what you know like when the winds of winter comes out everyone's going to be like picking it apart to see like where things are clearly going differently in the books than 
where they wound up in the show, but also like, like George is never going to tell us that he changed something based on the show. Like he said that like other like twists have come to him or like whatever that like couldn't have possibly made it in the show. But like, we're never gonna, I don't think that we're ever going to know if he like actually changed some character trajectories based on how he saw people respond to Game of Thrones. And that's going to be like, yeah, an eternal fandom debate and like comparison. I'm kind of excited that I'm kind of excited for that though, because the one thing that has always drawn me to Game of Thrones and A Song of Rise and Fire is this unique opportunity to discuss the books and the TV show and all this different lore coming at us in different, like less traditional ways. And the conversation always has been a little bit less traditional just because things, the books weren't out and things have been published in a different order than the TV series coming out, blah, blah, blah. So to me, that's an interesting and exciting conversation just because what other series are having those same conversations in the way that we are. So, yeah, that's totally true. That's how I see it. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, the amount of like content and like conversation that's been built out of (laughs) these books in the last like decades (laughs) is insane. And it will be really cool to have like a fresh, you know, 1200 pages. Bring it on. (laughs) Hell yeah. No, that's true. I should focus on being excited about that because that is going to be really fun. Kim. Well, this has been awesome. <laughs> 2020, yeah. baby. Now it's time to get excited for Winds of Winter too early again. I think it's always. coming out in three always. weeks, guys. We were always on that hype train. It's going to be awesome. Every year, I never learned. <laughs> no. it's, it's definitely happening this year, you guys. Or all of like Jeff's stupid tweets where I'm like, well, maybe I this know. time. <laughs> Gotta stop oh that. Oh, my God. All the stuff about the like metadata of the website being updated, and I was like, "Kim, don't don't go down that path. (laughs) Don't you do it." We've had that same combo. I had the same combo with myself. Unfortunately, we're we're gonna we're gonna hold hold it together. I I believe in us. When it's time, we'll know. Yes, we will know, and we will meet it when it happens that's that's like a haggard at the end of goblet of fire good 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 thank you for picking up on that reference i think we're all in the right place right now i think that's (laughs) the overall lesson and that includes all of you listening i'm so glad you're here with us i mean it's been 442 episodes so far i think holy smokes yeah so thanks uh let's get that other book though you know what i'm saying getting (laughs) getting kind of low on eps on uh, chapters You know what I'm saying? About to start a re-rewatch the throne or re-re-read the throne. Working on that. We got we're shopping some names around. You can just do a podcast audio book of my book. Yeah, oh, we're right do on. A chapter by chapter analysis of Kim's right book. Right on. Yeah, perfect. There we go. That's, Not a bad idea. Like five layers of meta. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. Um, Kim, where can people find you if they want to follow you? Yeah, you can find me in my uh, very cool verified Twitter account yeah. <laughs> on, on Twitter.com. Um, I'm at Kim R. Renfro, and my writing is on Insider.com, and you can buy my book anywhere buy books it. are sold. You might have to call ahead if it's like an indie bookstore, but literally anywhere that sells books should be able to get it for you. But it's also just like on shelves at Barnes & Noble and 
Amazon.com, and all that jazz. The unofficial guide to Game of Thrones. It's also an audiobook. If you have some Audible credits that you want to burn, you can listen to it on Audible. It's pretty cool. German, Polish, Finnish, and then the Italian version is coming out next wow. year. Wow. You I need think. to give David J. Peterson a call like to get the Dothraki translation of the unofficial guide <laughs> of Game of Thrones. <laughs> that would be amazing. That's funny. Um, thanks to everybody oh, for being with us to the end of the year, for God's sake. It's been a really fun one, and I'm really looking forward to what's in store. So hang in there with us. Read Kim's book because it really is amazing and necessary and required reading for all podcast listeners. So Aww, make sure you go check it out. You. That was thanks. a very strong for... recommendation, Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. The truth. She's like, you're going to be tested on this later tonight. <laughs> thank you both for everything, for being my first Game of Thrones podcast. Oh my you gosh. Guys, uh, you guys empowered me early on, which was awesome. So thank you. I just think that you've been doing the right thing with all this. You've had such a good attitude. It's been so positive and nice and welcoming and friendly. And that's what we're all about. And, you know, that's the thing, man. It's just it's all good. And I want more good stuff in this world. So thanks for putting it out there and letting everybody else take the ride with you and doing all this. Put all the work that you put into it, you know. It's just Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> so much work so fast. A lot. Yeah. And it's now I rest. Exactly. So enjoy that time off. Well deserved. Thanks. And everybody else listening, hope you guys enjoy some time off as well. We'll see you yeah. in the new year. Have Happy a good holiday. holidays, everybody out there in the world. And Goodbye, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you in 2020. <laughs> see you in 2020. Woo! Burr, 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 burr. Oh, thank burr. God we got some air horns finally. <laughs> <laughs>